0: Stand with me. We're in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Today, I'm going to read verses 15 all the way to verse 31. Um, our focus is going to be verses 15 to 17, so there's, there's a lot there for sure for you to read later on this week, and um, I want to encourage you just to set your radar so that you're listening for these words, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Truth, Helper. And then also, uh, the word love is going to appear a lot of times. And then also, just draw your attention to the word commands. So the Bible says in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. We're going to unpack that down the road. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also, excuse me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I'm in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. A lot of love going on here, and manifest myself to him. So, a third disciple asks a question Judas, not Iscariot, by the way. That's, that's a pretty big distinction there. Like, if your name's Judas, you're like, hey, bro, make sure they know. Not Iscariot. <laughs> These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, And I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will not talk to you much. I will not talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go. From here. Amen. Thank you, oh, oh God, thank you for these words. Thank you for sending your Son. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit. We've been singing this morning about your presence and the presence of your Spirit. We've been asking and we've been requesting. I pray that there would be a, a renewed dependence upon your Holy Spirit. I pray in this church there'd be a a kindling of our love for him. I pray that there would be a softening of our hearts and an opening of our ears, that that the Spirit would not only illuminate you in the sun, but that there would be the power and the strength to walk with you in a way that we've never experienced before in our lives. We invite you to come and to have your way that you would do a new work for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can have a seat. You know, I think that, I think goodbyes are hard, you know, and I think this is up for debate, but I do think that most of you will agree with me. Um, When you go through a hard goodbye, it's more difficult to be the one who's left than it is to be the one who's leaving. And I don't know if you agree with that or not, but sometimes you know when, when you're the one that is being left, kind of like, you know, your kids, your children, they grow up, they turn into young adults, they're ready to go to college, and, um, you know, they're, they're leaving and you want them to know not only how deeply you're going to miss them, but you want to make sure that they're going to miss you just as deeply when they leave. And so, you know, you try to convey that and the truth is this, that, um, you know, they're probably excited to go. They're probably excited to go. And maybe for some of you, you're just as excited to see them go as they, are, <laughs> as they are to go. But you know that sometimes when you're the one who's left, it feels like being left behind. And it can feel like there's a, an emptiness and a loneliness. And maybe for some people, depending on the situation, you can almost feel a little bit abandoned as this person's going on to this new great thing and you're just kind of left behind. And I say all of that today because that's how the disciples felt in this moment. That's how the disciples felt. You know, Jesus has been conveying to them, and it's been kind of a slow release, this whole business about suffering and crucifixion and resurrection and him going to the Father. And in this upper room discourse, he really does begin to unpack in earnest the reality that he is going to be leaving them and that he's going to be going to the Father. And you have to understand from their perspective. And the rea- reality is this he could see it all over their faces. I mean, for the second time, he said to them, Let not your hearts be troubled because it was visible. Like it was tangible. You could feel it in the room. As he's unpacking his soon departure, you know, you can just see the disciples get lower and lower and lower. And a sense of fear, a sense of abandonment, you know, a sense of, what are we going to do? I mean, our lives have been all about him. He's our hope, he's our Messiah. Like they just can't fathom. And so to pacify their hearts, and I don't mean pacify in a sense of like just giving them a little something to help them get by, but to really bring them a sense of peace, what Jesus does is he promises to send the Holy Spirit. Now, this was a big deal because the Holy Spirit was the closest companion of the Son. You know, if you were with Jesus for these three years, you would have recognized and seen just the sweet, you wouldn't have altogether understood it until years down the road, but you would have seen this sweet, deep, rich companionship between the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is what the Son says. He says to his disciples, I'm going to, give you, I'm going to give you the one who's been my closest companion. Do you know that today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you who was also the closest companion to Jesus while he was on his earthly ministry. That's a, that's a big deal. And so, remember with me, the Holy Spirit cannot be reduced to a power source. The Holy Spirit can't remain neglected in your life. You might be thinking today, well, why are you saying that? Because the truth is, oftentimes, in Christian circles, I hear this type of terminology said time and time again about the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's almost framed as a non-person, a power source that we just plug into, And don't get me wrong today, man, he supplies power. He supplies dynamic power. There's no doubt about it. But he's more than just just a power source you plug into, and he's not a non-person. He's not an it. He's a he. And in addition to that, I think maybe even more so, there are a lot of solidly saved Christians who just do not live in constant communion with the Spirit of God, And so the fact is this, like we can talk a lot about the Father, and we can rejoice in the Son, and we love the love of the Father and the Son, but you know the Holy Spirit, and I said this a couple of studies ago, He's kind of like the forgotten God. I think Francis Chan kind of put it that way, and I I think it was really appropriate. He's kind of the forgotten God. We've got great theology when it comes to the Father, like we're stellar in the Scriptures when it comes to the Son. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he's almost a neglected person in the God head. And we need to learn that he is a powerful and personal ally with whom we should live in constant connection. Okay, just checking to see if you're there. I'm gonna have a sip real quick while you guys clap, all right? So so I think, I think historically, um, Calvary Chapel has historically done a really good job at relying on the strength of God's Holy Spirit. I mean, particularly in the late 60s, the 70s, the early 80s, I know I'm going a long way back, but you know, it was in the early days, it was amazing what the Spirit of God was doing. There was just a, a dependence, there was a leaning into the Holy Spirit, in fact, so much so that the symbol that really began to um, identify Calvary chapels was the symbol of a dove. And you know, when the people of God gathered together, the Spirit of God was always doing something exciting and new and unexpected. You know, on, on any given time when God's people gathered, there would be a line to get in, there would be a sense of excitement, the people would gather together with an anticipation that the Spirit was going to do something great. There was, in addition to that, a Spirit-led innovation, a willingness to be open to whatever it was that the Spirit was desiring to do. And the people who were followers of Christ were risk-takers. They were willing to go anywhere and to do anything as long as they were being led by the Spirit of God. And I think... Yeah, those... Good days. I think the danger for us today is this we can rely on the Spirit's work in the past instead of experiencing His work in the present. I think the danger sometimes is that we can find ourselves in a spot where we start talking about the Spirit's work in the past tense. That's just the framework. Oh, wasn't it great back then when the Holy Spirit was? And then you fill in the blanks. There's a danger for us as a movement as we kind of are progressing to begin to rely on what the Spirit was, was doing back in the good old days. I think another danger for us is this, that we can be entrenched, we can become entrenched in our methods. And our methods might be really good, but you know as you're entrenched in a method and you do it consistently over and over and over again, pretty soon you start relying on your own abilities and your own strength. And, and pretty soon, you're not really leaning in on de- and depending upon the Spirit of God anymore because, hey, listen, we've been there, we've done that, we know how it goes, and so we've got this. That's a very, very dangerous place to be. I think another danger for us is that we can miss the mission. We can miss the mission. You say, well, what, what do you mean by that? I mean that our Christian culture starts to assimilate with the world, and pretty soon we find ourselves, we find ourselves as consumers, right? We, we come in and we have a series of felt needs that we want to be met, and so we come in and we, we take what we need, we privatize it, we keep it to ourselves, we compartmentalize it, and yet the Spirit of God doesn't influence the rest of our lives. We forget that the real mission that we're on is not just to have our felt needs met, but to be sent out into this world, to continue the redeeming work of Jesus Christ in reaching the lost. And so let me say to you today, and this is my prayer, it's our prayer as leaders for our church, and it's our prayer for you as well, that this is what we're seeking, a renewed dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We are seeking a renewed (laughs) dependence upon the Holy Spirit. By that I mean, number one, in sending, in sending us, That we are living missionally every day by God's spirit to bring Christ's redeeming power to lost souls through word and deed. Like, 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 I mean, y'all, you know, there's so many things I say that I think, dude, fix your English. I'm talking about waking up in the morning and saying, you know, Holy Spirit, I know that your purpose is to bring the light of Christ to lost hearts and so here I am. Here I am, fill me, empower me, equip me, and send me. I want to live for your purposes in the things that I do as I walk in integrity, as I speak the truth, as I live a righteous life that people can see there's a difference. And when they ask, I can say, Jesus is the difference. Jesus is the one. We need a renewed dependence. We need a renewed dependence on the Holy Spirit to live lives like that every single day. And then in addition to that, we need a renewed dependence on the Spirit of God in sanctification. By that, I mean a Spirit-filled lifestyle that produces obedience to Christ's commands, the fruit of the Spirit, and the exercise of spiritual gifts for the edification of God's holy people. That's the process of sanctification. And that process of sanctification, it means that you assert your will and you yield yourself and you align yourself to God, but it is fully empowered by God's Holy Spirit. Now, you might be thinking today, why in that order? Why is it sending first and then sanctification? And the answer simply today is because that's the order that Christ gives them. And that's the order that we see in scripture. And so we contour everything we do according to that order. The connection, remember, was this. Jesus said to his disciples, first and foremost, he said, he said, greater works than these you will do. He's talking about how he's going to depart and go with the Father, but his work wasn't done because he was going to continue working through his disciples in a way where it was like, hey, listen, you've seen what I've done, and that's nothing compared to what I'm going to do through you collectively. Greater works than these. And that would have begged the question, Lord, how's that going to happen? How in the world is that going to happen? Answer, Holy Spirit. Answer Holy Spirit. And then the sanctification piece is now in these verses when Jesus says the person who keeps his commands, the person who keeps his words, the words that he gave that ultimately came from the Father, that sanctification, how do we keep the commands of Christ? Certainly it's not by our own strength. It has to be empowered by God's Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do today is this. We're going to spend the next four months here and there Um, unpacking the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, Today, we're gonna just key in on what Jesus said as he lays out the groundwork for them to understand who the Spirit is and how he operates, all right? If you're one of the Jewish disciples, remember, um, it's not as if all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit appears in the teaching of Jesus, and you have no framework for that, No, you would have been familiar with the Spirit of God. You know, these Jewish disciples were well grounded in the uh, Old Testament, in those ancient scriptures. And so when Jesus mentioned the Spirit of God, of course, they would have been thinking, man, Spirit brooding over the waters, the agent of creation. You know, through Him, everything that was made, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, everything that was made was made. In your mind, you would have been thinking, man, that moment, that. Adam was shaped out of the dust of the earth and the breath of life was breathed into his nostrils, the the spirit of God present for that moment. You would have reflected on the history of Israel, kings and prophets and priests, and how God with that calling also brought uniquely to those specific individuals moments where they were empowered by the spirit of God. And then maybe more than anything, When you thought about Messiah, your heart and mind would have been connected to what the scripture was indicating, that there would be this beautiful relationship between Messiah and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord. Isaiah 11.2 says this, that on the Messiah would rest the Spirit of Yahweh, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And then not only that, but there would have been this expectation because you were rooted in the word of God. You knew there was coming a time where the spirit's work was going to be more prolific and powerful and experiential because the prophet Ezekiel, as he was speaking on behalf of God, he said this, God speaking to his people, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And then not only that, but Joel chapter 2, verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And you guys remember on the day of Pentecost, as as tongues like flames of fire and a rushing mighty wind blowing through the place. And, and there was the gift of tongues, and interpretation was given. And everyone's like, Man, these dudes are drunk. Peter's like, No, we ain't drunk. We're not drunk? What you see is the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, verse 28. This was what we've been waiting for all along, the gift of the Holy Spirit. All of this emerging slowly over the course of time, even in the gospel according to John, as you initially see the Spirit descending like a dove upon Jesus, indicating this close communion and dependency. We'll talk about that later on. You, of course, remember when Jesus talked about how someone can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. And that work of spiritual regeneration happens only by the power of the Spirit of God. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he's addressing this deep-seated emptiness. And if she knew who it was who asked her to give him a drink, she would have asked him, was that confusing today? And he would have given her living water, something that is sourced by the Holy Spirit. And then on the, on the Temple Mount, during the Feast of Tabernacles, you remember, he said, anyone who comes to me out of his or her most inner being will flow torrents of living water. And John's like, hey, PostScript, man, we had no clue, dude. We had no idea what he was talking about, but later on, we got it. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. And now we have the Upper Room Discourse where Jesus really begins to dial it in. If you're taking notes today, all of that to say, if you're taking notes today, there are four things today that he says as he lays out the groundwork for the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Number one, the Holy Spirit is sent because of love. Number one, the Holy Spirit is sent because of love. I want you to know this, you're Bible students, so you recognize this, love controls this whole section. Like, let me just say to you, let me read to you the different places the word love pops up. Verse 15, if you love me. Verse 21, "Um, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, and then he goes on to say, My Father will love him. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Verse 28, I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Verse 31, that the world may know that the that the world may know that I love the Father. So love controls this whole section, right? Not just his love for them, but their love for him. Let me put it in different words, Jesus and I'm going to personalize it for you guys today. Jesus loves you. You love him. Jesus loves the Father and asks the Father to send the Spirit. The Father loves the Son and sends the Spirit, and the Son who loves you sends you the Spirit who you receive when you put your trust and faith in Christ. The Spirit who loves you sends you into the world that God loves. That's a lot of love going on there. I don't know about you guys, all right? that's a lot of love. Let me say it again just because it's kind of fun. Jesus loves you. You love him. Jesus loves the Father who also loves you and asks to send the Spirit. The Father loves the Son, so the Father sends the Son the Spirit. And the Son who loves you sends you the Spirit when you put your trust and faith in him. The Spirit who also loves you sends you into the world which God loves. I mean, that's, that's it. So, so you're like... And by the way, just as a side note, I just want you to note the sending nature of the Godhead, the sending nature of the Godhead, the self-givingness of the Godhead. There are a lot of people who say, you know what, God's such a taker, man. God just wants to ruin your time and take from you. And he's like, you know, he's like Zeus. He's on a cloud with a lightning bolt just waiting to obliterate you if you step out of line. God's all take, take, take. And I just want to say to you, no, God's all give, 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 like God's all give. and, and listen. I thought about this after I taught it the first time, I'm going to make an amendment, okay? He does take, he takes all your junk. He takes all your junk. It's like, he takes your sin, he takes your confusion, he takes your chaos, he takes your addictions, he takes your madness, he takes your anger, he takes your self-centeredness, your self-absorption, your your, your way of orbiting around you all the time, He takes all of that misery and He places it upon His Son who hung on a cross for us. And then as you believe in Him, He gives you forgiveness, He gives you clarity, He gives you mercy, He gives you freedom, He gives you renewal, He gives you spiritual regeneration. I mean, listen, I know sometimes when it gets to like deeper theological things like this, sometimes you can tune out, but you've got to catch how good the Father is. Like we're talking about Him loving you so much that He's given the Holy Spirit to you. And when you think about it like this, it's just a reminder, the Spirit is not a tool to manipulate for your own agenda. The Holy Spirit is not a tool for you to manipulate for your own agenda, or to promote your platform. And, and even more than that, the Holy Spirit, He is so worthy of you not neglecting Him. I know that was probably a horrible way to say it, but you don't neglect the ones that you love, right? You don't neglect the ones that you love. When there's a relationship that's being built that, is, that fundamentally is based on love, it compels you to pay attention. It compels you to be engaged. Hey, number two is this, in connection with that thought, and I'm just going to read these verses again, okay? Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The second thing is this, the Holy Spirit is your forever helper, The Holy Spirit is your forever helper. Maybe your translation today instead of helper says counselor or comforter. The Greek word is paraclete. It means the one who comes alongside, right? This this one who who is in abiding presence with you that is there to help you and to counsel you and to comfort you. That's the idea that's given when Jesus says he is the helper, You're building a relationship with someone who is present so that he can enable you to have everything that God wants you to have. I think this concept of relationship, um, it's easy with the father, it's easy with the son because you know those are human relationships. I mean, at least there's a framework for human relationships. We kind of get the dynamic, right? Well, we know what it's like to have a relationship with the father, Um, for the most part, we know what it's like um, to have a relationship. Christ is also called our friend. He is our brother. And so there's a framework for that for us. The danger, obviously, is we can take our earthly framework and project it over onto our heavenly Father or onto the Son, which can become a mess. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's like, well, where's the framework for that? And then if you're reading the King James Version, he's not called the Holy Spirit, he's called the Holy Ghost. And it's like... Where's the framework for that, right? And, and I think, this is what I think, I think that makes it even more exciting. It makes it more exciting because you kind of come to the table with a clean slate, right? Your, your relationship, even though there might not be an earthly framework for it, your relationship with the Holy Spirit is going to be defined and it's going to grow based on your experience of Him, it is on a daily basis, as you're learning to lean in because of love, that you're going to discover not only who he is, but how he operates in your life. I love the way that Jesus says this to his disciples in verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, there are commentators who say, well, that, he's talking about the second advent there. There are some commentators who say, well, he's talking about the rapture there. Um, There are some commentators who say, well, he's really talking about the resurrection. After he's crucified, he's going to reveal himself. And then there are others, and almost everybody says that he's talking about his presence being experienced through the Spirit of God who indwells the true believer. And I think, listen, all of them may be true in some sense, but I do 100% believe that that fundamentally is what he's meaning, like we experience the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And in other words, you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, because we're not orphans. We're not, we've not been abandoned. We're not out there on our own. We've been adopted into the family of God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not just some bozo hanging out there, you're a son or a daughter of the living God. I mean, that, that's good. You're in the Father's house. You're in the Father's house. You say, well, all right, that's great, but I still would have liked to have been there present with Jesus during those three years. I say, no, you do have the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. You are in the house of God, and the Spirit of God cares for you and loves you and nurtures you and educates you in God's truth. He clothes you in robes of righteousness. He transforms your character. He fills you with joy. He strengthens you when you're weak. Man, isn't that good? Are you experiencing that? He's your forever helper. He's the one that the Son has sent so that you could be supplied with every single thing that you need. Let me just say these things again. You're cared for, you're loved, you're nurtured, you're educated in God's truth. You're clothed in righteousness. Your character is transformed. You are filled with joy and he strengthens you. You're not helpless. You're not on your own. You've not been abandoned. And I know, I know how those moments feel. I know how those moments feel. And don't, like if you've walked with God for any length of time, don't tell me you've not felt like this. You know, where you've been like, God, where are you? Like, what the heck, right? I don't know if you say that to God. What the heck, God? What the heck? You know, what's going on? You know, where are you? I I feel like I have been left behind. I feel like I have been abandoned. I feel like this should have worked out differently than it has. I feel, I feel, you know, and our feelings are real, they're feelings, but you know, sometimes we can disconnect ourselves, we can, we can unanchor ourselves from God's truth. And it's in those moments that we need to remind ourselves, right? Yeah, I, I do have these feelings, but you know what? I, I know what the scripture says, and I'm gonna anchor myself to truth. And I'm not just gonna anchor myself to a principle, I'm gonna anchor myself to a person. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm weak, I need your strength. Holy Spirit, I'm lonely, I need your presence. Holy Spirit, I'm lost and confused, I need your guidance, your direction, and your wisdom. Holy Spirit, I am weak, I'm anemic, I've not been growing like I should, I've plateaued spiritually, and I need you to pump me up. Like, I need, I need another level. I need you to take me to another level. Like, that's what it means to begin to depend upon the Holy Spirit. He said, I'll send you another helper, one who will help you, but, but who is different. In fact, he said to his disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away so that the Spirit can come. And well, what is the advantage of that? Well, every person, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, every person here is indwelt by the Spirit of God. So, so stats say that 31% of the global population is Christian. Like, we can argue that all day long. Uh, only God knows, right? But let's just agree. There's a lot of Christians on the face of planet Earth today. Well, guess what? In every one of those millions upon millions of people, the Holy Spirit is able to uniquely and personally dwell. And not only does he uniquely dwell, like, lest we become children of the Enlightenment and privatize our faith here... Not only does he uniquely dwell in each one of us, he collectively has brought us together as a family of God. There's one church. There's one church indwelt by one spirit. He is your forever helper. He's always present even in the most simple things like prayer. Right? You know you and I can't even pray without the help of God's Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Romans 8:26, "Likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought." I'm sure you've had one of those moments. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The third thing, if you're taking notes today, based on what Jesus said is, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Everything you need to know about God and Jesus Christ is revealed by the Spirit. Revealed by the Spirit. What does that mean? That means that this book is Spirit-inspired. right? This book, which is the specific revelation of God, is spirit-inspired. And you know, you can't understand what's contained in the pages of scripture without spirit illumination, without spirit revelation. It takes the work of God's Holy Spirit, I'm saying to you, for the light to go on. He is the source of truth. He's the one who reveals truth. You know, in those moments you're reading and you're like, bam, I never saw that before. Like, that was so awesome. And then you say to your friends, dude, check this out, what I just learned, you know, and, and, you know, you have a tendency to take credit for it because you're, you know, I was praying, man, for four hours, and it was like, I started at 4 a.m., and I was out at Red Rock, man, and I had fasted for 24 hours, and, and then I opened my book, and I, I, it was so dark, I had to use my light for my iPhone, and, and there were scorpions and snakes, but, but I was so committed to God in this moment, and God showed me this, and it's like, oh, hey, idiot, this, that's not you. That's not you. That's not, that's not your sacrifice. I mean, praise God, for it is the Holy Spirit who, like, caused the light to go on. He reveals the Father and the Son to us. You might be thinking today, well, well, what exactly? Like, in the context of the world, what does it mean that He is the Spirit of truth? Well, it means this. He pulls us out of the cultural lies, He pulls us out of the lies of the world. He convicts us of our sin. He leads us to the power of the gospel. And when we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, we are spiritually regenerated. We collectively become a counterculture, a contrast community. There's a difference in us because we're indwelt by the spirit of God. Like this group of people is different because we house the Holy Spirit. We are people who are led in truth And we're empowered to live it. We're people who've been set free from the devil's lies. And the devil's always been lying. The devil's always been lying. Like on day, I don't know if it was day one, but early on, early on, you know, he says to Eve, has God surely said he's a liar? And we live in a culture that is broken because of his lies. Our culture says your identity can be found apart from God. That's not true. Our culture says you can make yourself happy. We all know that's not true. Our culture says you are what you accomplish. Our culture says you can find your own truth. Truth is up for grabs. Whatever feels right must be right. Our culture says values found in how others perceive you. We're believers in Jesus Christ. We don't live the lie anymore, church. We don't live those lies anymore. We're a new community. Peter said it like this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Finally today, if you're taking notes, the fourth thing is this, as we wrap up, um, his indwelling identifies those who belong to God. His indwelling identifies those who belong to God. The way Jesus said it is this the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So what he's saying is the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. It takes faith in Christ. There's only one way to house the Holy Spirit, to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. Now, you might say to me today, well, wait a minute, pastor, I'm a spiritual person. I say to you today, do you have God's Holy Spirit? Do you have God's Holy Spirit? Because those are two different things. You say, well, how do I get the Holy Spirit? When you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ in that moment, the Spirit of God indwells you. And that is one of the key things that identifies you as a Christian, Hey, this was was what happened on the, the day of Pentecost. The Spirit of God came in an undeniable way. And then you remember some years later, Peter goes to the house of Cornelius. He's preaching the gospel to these Gentiles, and in the middle of his message, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles, and they begin to speak in various tongues. And then Peter's like, dude. I guess we should baptize them, right? I mean, how can, we withhold, how can we withhold the water? He goes to the council of Jerusalem. He lays it out. There are some people who are like, man, those Gentiles, they can't just be saved. They need to be circumcised. They need to obey Torah. And Peter's like, let me tell you what went down, man. I was preaching, the spirit fell. And then they said, well, if the spirit fell on them like the spirit fell on us, then they belong to God. Paul rolls into Ephesus. And there's disciples there who are talking about John the Baptist, and they're talking about Jesus. And Paul's like, man, I'm not really sure where y'all are at, so let me ask you a question. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit? And they're like, dude, we haven't even heard as much as what the Holy Spirit is. And so he recognized that there was a step of faith that they had yet to take. So a true disciple You know you're a true disciple because the Spirit of God dwells in you. So you might say to me today, well, okay, but how do I know that the Spirit of God actually does dwell in me? And this is an important question because you know you can sit in a seat, you can attend a church, you can go through the religious rituals for 50 years and not have a relationship with God. You can can engage in all things spiritual. You can become a professional in in the details of Christianity and never be indwelt by God's spirit. I mean, can you imagine the day standing before God and it's like, no, no, wait a minute, God, I went to church. I went to church. I went to Awaken Las Vegas. I had like 10 Bibles. They were all highlighted and underlined. My kids went to the Christian school. I gave my money. I gave my money, and you know, it's going to be like, well, you missed the most important step. And so listen, we know that the spirit of God indwells us because he draws us to Christ. It takes the Holy Spirit. It takes the Holy Spirit, not to religious ritual or religious practice, but to the person of Christ to come to a place where we recognize, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I've not just sinned against people, but I've sinned against you. And you feel that, you know, the people that Peter was preaching to on the day of Pentecost, as he preached, the Bible says they were pierced to the heart and they said, what must we do to be saved? The Philippian jailer said the same thing, what must we do to be saved? And it's the spirit of God that reveals that sin in our life and convicts us. And then at the same time reveals to us the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus. You know that it's not our abilities or our efforts that mediate between ourselves and God, but there's the Son of God who became the bridge. There's one mediator between man and God. There's one who spans the gap. There's one who tore down the wall of our sin and put one hand on us and one hand in a holy God and bound us together to the heart of the Father. There's a revelation that comes to us about who Jesus is. And I say it like this all the time but I'm not, I I got to say it again he's not just some religious leader he's not just some example good fine example moral example to follow to pattern your life after you know he's not just one of many prophets you know that ultimately all lead to god no he is the holy one of god and it's the spirit of god that leads you to that place walking down this road for some of us it was in a moment for some of us it was a process but you get to the point where you make a choice You make a decision. You you decide to follow Jesus. That is what the Holy Spirit does in your life. The second thing is this you obey Christ. Now, you might be thinking, well, I don't know. Where does it say that in the Bible? So, well, it says it right here, right? If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Right, So another sign that we're indwelt by God's spirit is that we long to keep the commandments of Christ. And this is a comprehensive saying, right? So he says commandments here. He says my words in another place. All that simply means is everything he said, everything he said, we've looked at who he is and what he has said, and we've said to him, Lord, my life is yours, my life is yours. Now, granted, this process that we walk through, it doesn't all happen perfectly at once. You know, we struggle and we battle, and there's moments that we fail. And we might even, you know, I hope it's not the case, but even have an extended period of like disconnection in our relationship with God just because we've gone AWOL, we're MIA, we're prodigal. But, you know, we come back because the seed of God's word is in our hearts, and we're indwelt by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit is the one who knocks, right? Some of you are on the run. Some of you are on the run, and this is today for this service because I didn't do this in the first service. Someone's on the run, y'all. Someone's on the run, and this is what the Spirit of God does. He sits and he knocks on your heart. It's like, hey, open the door. Come come home. Come home. What, what are you doing? What are you doing? He woos you, he calls you, he calls you to come back to a place of submission and humility and obedience. The Bible says in 1 John 3:24, whoever keeps his commands abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And finally today and they're all connected together, the, the third way you know that you have the Spirit of God is there's evidence of real change. There's evidence of real change. Like, this thing is it's always just sat heavy on my heart, right? It's just a deep thing to consider. You have dwelling within you the Holy Spirit of God, right? The one who was the agent of creation, of Father, Son, and Spirit, Right? The world, the earth, the atoms, the stars, the nebula, the sun, all of it, right? The almighty God now dwells in you through the Holy Spirit. How can your life not be changed? How can there not be a difference? You know, it's not just that we're following some ritual or something like that, though. Spirit of God dwells within our lives And now there's a difference Paul lays out this difference And let me close with this scripture Paul lays out this difference He says it in a way like this This is how you used to live That's how you used to be And now this is who you are He says in Galatians 5.19 Now the works of the flesh are evident Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, which is hatred Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, just pause on that one for a minute, (laughs) rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He's like, oh, and by the way, if I miss something, just, you know, that's what it all looks like. He said, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice those things, why? Because it's evident that the Spirit of God is not dwelling in them. He goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today for what your son said about The Spirit, and would you just grant us, God, grant us that we request, and we know that you've made the promise that if we ask for more of the Spirit, you, being a good, good Father, will honor that request. And so, for all of us, for all of us, God, please, we pray a deeper dependence a deeper reliance, more of our heart. We want your spirit to have more of our heart. We want an anticipation and excitement. We want to live in a place where our needs are met by the power of the helper. Teach us how to live in relationship to him. Today, as our eyes are closed, as our heads are bowed this morning. Maybe maybe today some of you are just realizing that you need God in your life and and that's why you've come today. Possibly because there have been difficult challenging circumstances that have made you see that you need someone stronger than yourself helping you. Maybe today it's been you find yourself here because it's just the fruit of your own failure and you have a a broken life because of bad decisions and, and you know you need help up out of that situation. Maybe today the truth is your life has just been a blazing success but Success after success after success is not meeting the the need in your heart. You're just as empty. And so you're looking for more. I just have to say to you today, you're here because the Spirit of God has drawn you here. You have seen those things because the Spirit of God has revealed those things to you. And all of those points converge to one single point, and that's the person of Christ. He's the one who can help you up out of the pit you've dug for yourself. He's the one who can supply the strength that you just don't have. He is the one today who will satisfy that deep-seated need within your life. He is the one who is the bridge to the Father. He'll take you just as you are, and he'll, he'll bring you into right relationship with God to the extent That you'll be called a son or a daughter of God, indwelt by His Spirit. There's no one as beautiful as Christ, and you're beginning to see that. And today, that's because the Holy Spirit's been revealing Jesus to you. Now, you need to make a decision. You need to take a step. And this morning, I want to lead you in, if this is you, a very simple prayer. Today, you need to choose to believe in Christ and to follow Him. This morning, I wanna lead you in this prayer. I would also say maybe for some of you as Christians, you've been prodigal, you've been on the run, the Spirit's been knocking on the door of your heart, and you need to come home to your Heavenly Father. For some of you today, it's just been a deeply dry season that's extended far longer than you ever would have thought, and you need a fresh work of the Spirit of God. For all of you today, I want you to follow me in this prayer. Pray with me today. Father, I come to you. I come to you humbly. Today I confess I've sinned against you. I confess that I need you. And I'm choosing to believe in Jesus, your son. That he was sent because of love. That he died on the cross and rose again. Today I ask that you take my sin and give me your forgiveness. That you take my emptiness and fill me with your spirit. Thank you for loving me. And as our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed this morning, if you followed me in prayer, I want to pray for you today. I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting, would you just raise your hand and acknowledge that you followed me in prayer today? Just stretch your hand up high. God bless you both here in the front, and I see your hands in the center, and all your hands over here on my right, on my far right, here in the back, on the left, here in the front, on the left, over here on my left. God bless All of you today, this is the the work of God in your life. I see your hand in the back and there against the wall. Father, we praise you and we thank you for your merciful work in these hearts. We pray, God, please. We pray that you would wrap these souls up in your almighty love and show yourself strong on their behalf.